welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Tzadi Dalid, page 94. So on Ahmed Aleph, we have here a discussion about this one witness issue, right? Yerdena, I think you're, you spoke before about two witnesses versus one witness, and to what extent can the testimony from one witness be upheld? And in this case, we have a rejection of the one witness, but for a different reason. Amrle Rav Mordechai Rav Ashi, Amrle Rav Achel Rav Ashi. It's not clear, was it Rav Mordechai or Rav Achel who said to Rav Ashi, as this is what they said, whoever, whichever it was, Tashma, Ein ha'isha ne'amenet lomar meitivami, she'en ha'say, velo meita achoti she'kanes leveita. So the position here is that we say that a woman, a woman is not um, considered trustworthy or reliable, I guess. It's not about trust as much as her testimony not being reliable, believable, credible. Um, if she comes and says, my Yavam is dead, and she wants to remarry to somebody else, right? Meaning her goal, <laughs> and this is like pretty clear, right? She has a clear goal. She wants to marry somebody else. So she has a vested interest in saying that her Yavam is dead. So when she comes and says, hello, court, my Yavam is dead. Can you please permit me to go marry somebody else? She, her testimony is not believed. Um, I think this is like for obvious reasons, right? Her, her vested interest here mitigates against the testimony itself. You know, she wants to be believed whether or not he's alive, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that this woman is playing hard and fast with the with the facts, right? Meaning there's no reason to, well, that's not true. I was going to say, there's no reason to think that she would lie about this, except for that perhaps she would lie about this, and that's exactly the issue. That is why her testimony here is not going to be accepted, because she has a motivation that isn't simply the truth, namely she wants to marry somebody else. Likewise, she, if she says, my sister is dead, so, and again, the goal here would be that she could quote-unquote enter her house, meaning she could marry the sister's husband, which is really complicated, but we'll leave that side that as a side discussion. Again, she's got an external motivation. She has an agenda. She has a, um, an ulterior motive. And therefore, she's not believed. She's not accepted. Her, her testimony is not accepted. He, he, de la mehemna, ha'ed echad mehemen. So the Gemara concludes, right, she is not believed. That doesn't mean that one witness under these same circumstances wouldn't be believed. In fact, to the contrary, the fact that the Gemara goes out of its way to specify that this woman, meaning this woman with her ulterior motive, with her vested interest, is not believed, it implies that one witness who does not have an ulterior motive and does not have, and does not have a vested interest would indeed be believed. So the issue then becomes not one witness being problematic, but the woman who wants her own who wants her own testimony to set herself free to be believed for that testimony. Now the Gemara, of course, wants to argue against this. So the Gemara says, well, according to this reasoning, then the end of that Mishnah from before, the other day, says when the 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 man is not considered credible if he comes to say, my brother is dead. Why? Because likewise, his testimony should suggest that he's coming so that he can then marry his dead brother's wife. And likewise, you know, if he were to come say, my wife is dead and I'm going to marry her sister, 
right? This same reasoning about this woman would suggest or or imply in a very strong way that this man's testimony, this man uh, about himself, about his own situation, would also not be believed. Who nihu but again, but one witness, one one witness who does, who is not in his same shoes would be believed. Um, but the problem is that we say that that's not correct. Meaning, when we're talking about a woman, meaning the concern that the woman can't remarry, right, because she's stuck in this potential status as an aguna. So then the, the sages were lenient and to say that she could rely on one witness. But to say that this man, vested interest testimony might not be accepted, but to say that he could rely on one witness, it's a little bit difficult to say that. So there's no concern, there's no mitigating circumstances of uh, to prevent him from aginut because lahalacha, and we don't really paskin this way for, at least Ashkenazim don't nowadays, that a man can marry one woman, inspired him do again not so commonly, but they do. Um, but and but again, there are ways that a man can get out of the question of aginut to begin with. So the concern of um, being accepting testimony in a more lenient way, namely one witness, is not relevant for that man. Again, with his same vested um, uh, what's the word ulterior motives. I think it's really interesting how the Gemara is trying to balance. On the one hand, wanting to allow the one witness, but also recognizing that people are human and that the one witness may give such a sort of big leniency that it actually could be misused. And like their motivation is they want to make life easier for people, but I think they also don't want to set up a system that could be easily corrupted. And well said. And I think also understanding, you know, Again, as difficult as I think parts of Yabamos have been, I think this DAP in particular is very sensitive to women, right? From an economic, social standing point of view, in the times of the Gemara at least, sort of her desire to remarry, also worrying about what the status would be of her future children within Halakha, there's a lot of competing motives here that one could make an argument for or against why she should be believed. Right. Right. I, I listen. The fact that here her testimony is not is the fact that she's female is irrelevant, so to speak. Right. Meaning it's because she's got a vested interest. Right. Exactly. She has a vested interest, and I think we see that throughout Yibamos. Right. The idea that even the brother-in-law or her could have a vested interest in wanting Yibam to happen. So, what I appreciate is the Gemara really understands. Yes, there's halacha. But there's a lot of human emotion around these relationships and how they unfold and how people move on to something different after a terrible tragedy, right? Like, uh, it, it's it's interesting to see and that some of those sort of emotional pieces actually impact how we understand the halacha. Um, I'm going to move on to a Mishnah now, um, whereas the previous Mishnah talked about what happens with a woman who remarries, learning about her husband's death. Now we're going to have the reverse, which is a man who marries his wife's sister upon learning of his wife's death. So somebody's wife traveled, and they tell him, right, your wife died. And then he marries her sister, which, remember, would not have been allowed while she was alive. But whilst, when, when she passes away, that's allowed. 
And then afterwards, his wife comes back. Muteret Lachsor, she, the wife, is allowed to return to him. Um, uh, because basically the idea is, is that the marriage to the sister sort of never took effect. Because what really is being questioned here is, is a marriage between Orios, right? Is it, does, does that condition, does that marriage actually take effect? Umutar Bikru Vochniot, he's permitted to marry the relative of the second woman, meaning the sister, and the second woman is permitted to marry his relatives. Because again, that marriage was never valid between the husband and the wife's sister. So any of the Isurim that should have happened from that don't really fall into place through that marriage because that marriage never, it's not a valid marriage. The Imeta Rishana, let's say the first woman, right, wife number one dies, Mutar Bishnia. Then he can actually go back and marry that second then the Mishnah goes on to say, they say to him, your wife died, and then he marries her sister, and they have children. And then afterwards they say, your wife was actually alive. And then she died afterwards. The first child, meaning the one who was conceived before the wife actually died as a mamzer. But if a child is conceived after she died, that child would not be a mamzer. Rabbi Yossi Omer, anyone who disqualifies others, disqualifies himself as well. Anyone who does not disqualify others, does not disqualify himself either. So what this is referring to is the case where sister-in-law's husband also went overseas, is also reported then, and then also returns. So in this case, the Tanakhama here would say the first wife would go back to her husband. But Rabbi Yossi would say that this is only allowed, right, whether or not his marriage to the sister-in-law is disqualified from her returning to her husband. If the other couple, right, in other words, the sister-in-law could go back to her husband, who also, let's say, was found alive, right, but they're not allowed to because he's actually forbidden to go back to his wife, right? If if they or but if they're forbidden, if they're not forbidden, then he and his wife would not be forbidden. This is going to be discussed a little bit more later on. I don't think I said that so clearly, but we're going to discuss this on tomorrow's staff. Um, I'll just read the beginning part of the Gemara here, right? Which says the Gemara is going to sort of discuss a little bit uh, this, you know, why the wife is allowed to return to the husband, the first wife. Yeah, right. This would apply even if his wife and his brother-in-law, the husband of the wife's sister, both traveled uh, abroad. And, and uh, you know, once he learns of both of their deaths, you know, it's basically a brother-in-law and sister-in-law got married to each other, except that sister-in-law was the wife's sister as well. Right. agiso. This marriage to the to the sister is effective in that it actually would prohibit the brother-in-law's wife, meaning the sister, to his brother-in-law. Even though his brother-in-law's wife is forbidden to the brother-in-law, his own wife is permitted. Okay, so this is one of these things that's, you know, you kind of almost need a chart, right? This goes back to the mission that we had on Pei Zion, right? That the sister wouldn't be allowed to go back to her first husband. So what the Gemara is basically pointing out here 
is that in a way, the first wife has it a little bit easier. She can go back to her first husband, but the sister is more difficult for her to go back to her first husband. That That's basically because she's the one who entered a forbidden relationship, whereas that first wife did not enter a forbidden relationship. And that's why she can go back to her. Once she comes back and has found life, she can go back to her first husband. But the sister, the sister who the first husband married could not go back. I hope that's clear with the with the language and not actually writing it out. The low Amrinan, for we do not say, that since his brother-in-law's wife became prohibited to the brother-in-law, his wife should also be prohibited. That's not, the, the basically the halacha is not willing to go there. We're not going to say, and I, and I think the Gemara is basically admitting there's something unfair about the halacha here. So again, the case is, is that you have, you know, a, a you know, let's say Ruvain is married to Sarah and sorry, let's say we'll use the actual sisters from Sarah. Ruvain is married to Leah and, uh, and you know, Leah's sister, Rachel, is married to Shimon. But Ruvain and Shimon are not related in any way. You know, Rachel and Shimon go away. Presumably both of them die. So then Ruvain and Rachel, uh, sorry, Ruvain and uh, I think I messed this up with the siblings that I said. I'll start this one more time. Right, you have Ruvain is married to Leah, excuse me, and Shimon is married to Rachel. Leah and Shim, uh, uh, let's say Leah and Shimon go away, and then Ruvain and Rachel decide to get married. It's then found out that Leah and Shimon are both alive. Leah can go back to Ruvain, but Rachel cannot go back to Shimon. And again, that's based on the previous mission that we had on Pei Zion. The Gemara is basically admitting it's not so fair, may not be logical. But that is how the halacha is going to play itself out. The rest of the Gemara is going to start on trying to figure out a little bit, uh, you know, talk about this a little bit more in terms of Rabbi Akiva and uh, later on to start exploring Rabbi Yossi's opinion. But we'll talk about that tomorrow. That's our Daft discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.